We're too bossy. Too ambitious. Too opinionated. That's why we made a podcast. Welcome to Two Lips, One Mind, a podcast about smashing stereotypes and disappointing our traditional grandparents. So, how are you feeling after today's announcement? Where do I even begin? Um, I can't help but think back to that time that we were sitting in a park together recording an episode of our podcast because that was literally the only way we could record an episode. Well, just for posterity. I don't even know. (laughs) Um, We're all suffering from brain fog (laughs) after today's events. Um, We are recording after a big spike of, well, not even a spike. It's like 13 cases, isn't it? It's all relative after a while. I mean, 13 does feel like a big number after having, you know, donut days for however many days we had them. Like we had a month straight, I'm pretty sure. But um, we're heading into stage four lockdown. And look, to be completely honest, I wasn't expecting it to be at stage four. And I think I feel like most Melburnians would identify with that sense of being quite triggered, I suppose. And I hate that word because it's overused, but there's no other way I can describe just how I felt like I was literally shaking all morning because Mm. I was so nervous about this news because it almost feels like Groundhog Day and it feels like we've done this before and it's still the hotel quarantine mess and yet we're back here again. On the positive, uh, at this stage it is a hopefully short and sharp lockdown for five days. Um, And I think the idea is that if we go hard and we go fast, then hopefully we won't have to endure the six-month lockdown that we had to deal with last year. So I think it all feels really sad and mad and hard right now, but hopefully it's a small price to pay. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. It's just I also remember thinking the exact same things just before we went into um, <laughs> another lockdown that went on for 11 weeks. And so <laughs> um, I think everyone's just feeling quite quite anxious that that might happen again. It's just mm. it's too similar to what happened last time. But I think you're completely right. Like I, I think – I'm just being quite irrational. Like it's now just emotion speaking. It's mm. it's nothing on stats and facts. Like none of what I'm saying has any bearing on what the official numbers are or anything like that. And obviously everyone should be paying attention to the, um, the Department of Health and the official news sources for these things, because I think what we don't want is any more fear mongering amongst the mm. community. I feel like we're already quite tense, um, but it's, the flip side is it's been a pretty good summer. Like we've, we've returned to some sense of normality. Like remember that weekend we went to the AFLW, we went to comedy. Yeah. That's wild. Packed capacity. <laughs> I went to a concert last Monday. Like, yeah, it's been really good. And so yeah. um, I, I feel like this was the inevitable that we knew was happening, but it doesn't detract from the fact that I think everyone's heart sank really deep and I do feel for people out there who are going through mental health issues and Mm. have been going through mental health issues since last year. Um, And, uh, you know, it's remiss of me to to not mention that this pandemic affects people in really different ways. Mm. There's, um, you know, I was meeting someone today and they talked about the silent pandemic. And so my heart is really out there for people who are suffering from family violence and Mm. where isolation for me, it just means, you know, such trivial things like not being able to sit in a cafe and go mm. to my gym. But 
for some people, this is a really dangerous period for them. Mm. And you say trivial things, but in fairness, I think we can be grateful for the privileges that we do have relative to a lot of other people out there. But equally, we can also give ourselves permission to just really feel sad about the whole thing as well, because we all did sacrifice a lot last year, uh, especially here in Melbourne. And it is hard to not see this as a step back um, and as a bit of a failure. And yeah, so I think I'm sort of struggling at the moment because yeah I'm trying to retain perspective like you said and be like you know what at least I've got a job this time around and I can work from home and you know I've got a roof over my head and I've got all of these things but at the same time yeah we're all losing but in different ways it's not a competition in terms of who's losing out the most that absolute good points (laughs) I think it's just you know I'm always really cognizant that there's a sort of wide diverse people Mm. out there and and who knows who's listening to this podcast you know it's not just us um and some days I feel really guilty because like I sit in my cushy um you know at home office and I don't have anywhere near the risks as a lot of people out there even like you know like ambos and Safeway workers and teachers like you know them going out there anything job that puts you out there in the community Um, because they're actual essential workers Mm. um it puts them at greater risk so I guess I'm just trying to be cognizant of that Mm. but I think um we were also just I've really I don't know how you feel but I've been reaching the end of the the tether with the pandemic like work from home arrangements Mm. like I've really felt it in the last couple of months especially since I've returned back to work which is that communication is so, so poor without Mm. the face-to-face. I mean, I think I've probably felt it less than you have because um, ever since I started in my job, I've sort of had a split arrangement where there's part of the week that I work from home, but then there's also part of the week that I work on site. Um, Whereas I think you've more or less just been working from home for the better part of a year now um, with some notable exceptions. Um, but you're right. I think when you do have those experiences in the office, it sort of just heightens how different it is to work from home. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I feel that with clients, with stakeholders, and I think it makes this most recent outbreak and most recent lockdown that little bit harder because, you know, I think we all had this sense that we were making progress and we're moving in a linear direction. Yeah. And you know what? We're getting closer to that moment where we can be going to work more um, or even maybe transition completely to working on site. And now it kind of just feels like we're in this holding pattern and we don't know when things are going to change or if they're actually going to get worse or get better. So, yeah, it's a really, really hard time. I think this week has really highlighted that for me um, because, like you said, you've had a few opportunities. Um, you um, Throughout this whole period, you've been rostered days on um, due to the nature of your work. But um, for the first time in in almost 12 months, I actually met one of my clients face to face and it was just incredible. Like I actually could feel things shift a lot and that's like empathy on both sides and just a real understanding about where the other side's coming. And like I often have very difficult um, clients and they are demanding of difficult things and you know, in my role as their legal advisors, there's a lot of difficult conversations I often have to have. And sometimes it gets quite adversarial, but when you're having those on email or even on teams, it 
just has a different sort of complexion to it. Mm. And I have noticed that things are getting lost in translation a lot more and um, tensions are flaring and patience is fraying. And it's just hammering home to me that we can't keep doing this. And maybe it's just something I have to change like in our work, our practices or something. But um, until this pandemic is you know, relatively under control. It's something that for us as lawyers, it's really hard to engage with our clients on a level and do that sort of like um, negotiation and persuasion Mm. And for you and and for me as well, in some cases, like really eliciting the right instructions from our client, Mm. which requires like a high development of trust and empathy. And those are things that can't really be done on teams. Mm. Or at least accepting that maybe you can achieve those objectives, but odds are it's going to take you a lot more time and effort to actually get there. Um, I think I've told you a couple of times, like a big part of my role is speaking to clients that have been taken into police custody, um, who at the best of times are very heightened in that state. You know, they're often people who are uh, in terrible mental health, they're withdrawing from drugs, they're homeless, they have all these, um, I guess, lack of privileges, and then they're in that situation. And you're right, it's just a completely different interaction when it's one in person, Um, I can sort of gauge from their body language or their manner when they're actually going to be triggered by something and I can Mm. kind of adapt my approach. But when you're doing it on a phone, um, it's just not the same. And yeah, I mean, I've had more than one client, you know, smash a phone um, or, you know, hurl abuse at me. And it's just hard. It's really, really hard. Even you explaining to me about how you've been reading a remand brief, say, to a client over the phone, if you were in the same room as them, you can sit down next to them, mm-hmm. be non-confrontational and actually go through that with them, you know, clause by clause and explain to them what each of the pieces of legalese means. Mm-hmm. But the way that I didn't know that that was a logistical thing you'd encountered and actually made me realize like, much like my work, a lot of, um, and for me, the toll has been, our work has turned into a lot of logistics Mm. management and that's taken the emotional and physical toll on me. It's not so much the legal stuff that we were trained to do. And obviously like, please don't take it the wrong way that I don't like doing admin. It's just that now that my job mostly is reduced to figuring out COVID safe solutions to achieve a particular outcome that's going to maintain like, you know, secrecy or whatever I need to do um, for my client. But that involves a level of thinking we were never trained to think Mm. about. That's the operative word. We never were trained on this. Like a lot of us are just, you know, learning this on the run. And so there are bound to be sort of um, gaps. And we don't have the resources either. Mm. Like, I mean, um, like I, I work in a place that is quite resource rich, but for you, like, you know, there's a lot of basic software that um, work, you know, will not fund. And in this environment, you need that to actually do things like Mm. get signatures and Mm. compress documents and do things like that. Like, yeah, I just, it's this toll of things. And I don't think it's been spoken about anywhere, actually, because we both came back from leave. It wasn't even that long ago. It was one (laughs) month ago. Oh my God, it was exactly a month ago. And both of us were like, why do we feel so tired after a week of work? And then the second week rolled by and we were like, 
why are we so tired? And then this just kept happening again and again and again. And um, admittedly, like I've strangely enough had in-person court, which was quite an experience that I haven't experienced in, in over 12 months. But also um, court's been demanding. Like mm. we have lots of things are being listed. And generally like um, for people who aren't lawyers, like January generally is pretty quiet, mm. probably not for your bail clients, mm. but for other matters. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think, because obviously the court has its own pressures, you know, it's had in excess of 100,000 cases or closer to 200,000 cases adjourned during this COVID period. There is that real pressure to get matters on and finalized. And it's hard to do that when, like you said, the logistics aren't there and the support to execute those logistics aren't there. And this is the thing, like we've been, like, I feel like for so long, IT corporate infrastructure is something that's so unsexy, but, um, our industry in particular has had to learn to be really agile. And I really hope this is the impetus for it to keep Mm. being agile and keep going that way because we've talked about accessibility issues for people. And one of the benefits of work from home um, is that it's now being a truly inclusive workplace for people. Mm. Um, There's lots of people with disabilities or people with chronic illness and and things like that too. Like, um, you know, we've got friends who suffer from particular conditions, which means being at home is just easier Mm. um, and not having to think about, you know, how to get to work and and all managing their illnesses and the physical, like, um, nature of it. And even just, you know, I I think of when I was suffering from really bad panic attacks and anxiety, the idea of not getting on a packed train, Mm. the fact that that could be removed for a few days in a week, because I would have... Like, I quit my job. Like, if I could have modified it so I could have done a few days so I could, you know, get well and, and be, you know, speedily recover, um, I wouldn't have had to opt out of the workforce. So think mm. of, you know, there'd be a lot of people, I think, that would be in the same position. Mm. No, I completely agree. I mean, that is one of the consolation prizes. And it's one of the things that I hope we actually consolidate and keep regardless of, you know, whether we all get vaccinated or not. So I want to move on to what this week's topic is. So Sunday is Valentine's Day and Saturday is Galentine's Day. Yay! So Kushi, can you explain <laughs> for everyone what Galentine's Day is and the origins of it? So Galentine's Day was invented by our favourite uh, fictional TV character, Leslie Nope from the what best show of all time or one of the best shows of all time parks and recreation um and it was invented 10 years ago and it was centered on an episode i think it was sometime in season two where leslie throws a brunch um where she sort of indulges in waffles and gifts for her group of closest girlfriends to celebrate her friends and female friends in particular I think we're going to have to have watch that episode after this. <laughs> um, if you want something feel good, um, that is what you need to watch. And so we thought it would be a really um, just a nice tribute to our girlfriends out there and to other um, female friends out there to do an episode completely dedicated to female friendship, um, which is something that I think in in previous pop culture hasn't been reflected in the best light. Mm. I think there's been, um, you know, before the Sex and the Cities and the Bold Types, 
um, female friendships have sort of been portrayed in a particular way, which is this particular trope of being um, a lot of competitive women trying to tear each other down and, um, you know, all those bitchy mothers clubs and things like that. And I think for me, um, shows like The Bold Type and Parks and Rec and Sex in the City, um, in addition to being just great shows to watch, um, some haven't aged as well, like Sex and the City, but um, is a real celebration of female friendship and mm. what that actually means. And I think there's a few things that brought this home to me. So firstly, COVID, mm. I think that sense of disconnect and that sense of isolation really made me appreciate having my close girlfriends, mm. um, especially when I was going through a really difficult time personally and just being able to ventilate all those issues to you guys was something that I really appreciated. And secondly, I re- and this is my complete, you know, privilege, I suppose, which is that friendships are something that a lot of people have taken for granted in their 20s and then they get to their 30s and it's actually really hard. Like some people mm. don't really have that many close friends or don't have people that they confide in. Like I remember you saying one of your exes um, one time he was hanging out with us and what comment did he make? He just said that he couldn't believe uh, how close we were and that he wanted the kind of closeness that we had amongst ourselves. And that was one of those sort of, um, I guess, moments that made me stop and think. Because like you said, I think I've been very privileged in the sense that I've always had female friendships. Um, I went to an all-girls school and I had like my core group of female friends there. And then um, eventually I found that core group at university. And then pretty much every single work environment I've been in, I found a core group of friends and specifically female friends. And I just took it for granted that everyone had that experience in at least one place. But having that conversation with him made me realize that actually it is a privilege and a lot of people don't have it. And I think we listen to a number of podcasts that have fan pages on different sort of social media forums. And I've seen it. Uh, replicated there a lot where people go hey I'm in my 20s or I'm in my 30s and I really want friends like does anyone want to be friends with me and my heart just goes out to these people because I just can't imagine what my life would be like both the highlights and the lowlights had I not had all of my female friends there to carry me through and why do you think that that's the case like why do you think we all kind of get to our late 20s and 30s and find that we don't actually have that many close friends. Like there's a lot of people who are social butterflies and have friends on Facebook and friends on Instagram. But what I've found is that a lot of people have come to me and said that they're lacking that authenticity Mm. or lacking that genuineness that comes with the type of friendship of the quality that we're talking about here. Mm. Well, maybe a better way to phrase that question is why do we have those friendships? Hmm. So I know, for example, that I invest a lot of time and a lot of energy in my friendships. Like they sustain me, you know, for me, it's like breathing air or drinking water or eating food. It's making time for my friends. Um, And I think sometimes as you're going through life, you know, your priorities and values sort of evolve over time. Maybe there's a period of time where you're in a relationship and that's all consuming Or maybe you work that 70 or 80 hour work week and that's all consuming. Mm. Um, Or maybe you're like, you know, a traveler and, you know, you've spent the better part of two or three years backpacking through Europe and you don't have that time and energy. Um, So 
it's not a criticism per se, but I think a lot of it does come down to priorities and values and whether or not you put the time and energy or whether you even have the privilege to put the time and energy. So, you know, we've got a mutual friend who, um, and actually we've got two mutual friends uh, who both have chronic illnesses and have for extended periods of time had to completely withdraw from the relationships in their lives because of those illnesses. And I think with that comes a sense of understanding because um, with the friend you're talking about, like we, I knew them in high school and, you know, I think I look back at myself back then and I'm quite ashamed of sort of my ableism and the lack of empathy I had for what she was going through because it's a condition, it's a chronic syndrome and it's not, um, I guess, very well researched um, and, you know, even things like Centrelink don't recognize it as a thing, but Mm. for her, like she's suffering, it's it's like chronic fatigue. Mm. And so um, now with that understanding, like Mm. if if, um, I'm no longer, you know, 18 year old Anna, so it's, you know, if she says that she needs um, a day off to recharge from the week, I get that much more. And that's just by purely being able to understand this illness mm. a lot more and really check my privilege in terms of um, my ableism, mm-hmm. um, which is something that comes with time. Yeah, absolutely. I have the same thing with one of my best friends too, where I was very used to seeing her every day at school and then for most of uni. And then there was a period that we hit at uni where she would just sort of disappear for weeks, sometimes months at a time. And I remember being very personally affronted by it Mm. at the time and thinking, oh, right, you know, she thinks she's too good for me. And I think that's what I was guilty of. I made it personal that it was about me and didn't even stop and think to consider that maybe it actually has nothing to do with me and maybe it has, you know, something to do with whatever they're experiencing or going through. And I think that's a maturity thing. I Mm. think all you would have been 17, I would have been 16, 17, 18, around that age. You just don't get it. Like your focus is mostly on going out clubbing and it's like, why doesn't my friend want to go out with me? And like, you know, sometimes every now and then I feel that sense of rejection too. Like it's sort Mm. of the initial thing when someone says, no, I don't want to do something. Like I always feel it with anyone. Like Mm. even if someone's like got really good reasons to say no, um, I feel it. And I think it just takes me back to my teenage self and like obviously like other rejections and stuff like that. But um, I do think it's something that we've built on as we've gotten older. It's interesting you talk about sort of the dynamics of a changing friendship. Um, This is something I've been kind of obsessed about over the last couple of years because I'm very mindful that we're heading towards that crossroad in our lives where people are taking really different paths. We've got some friends who are traveling who um, who've, you know, lived I'm made up a whole life for them overseas. Um, one of your close friends and one of my close mm. friends is in London at the moment. She doesn't seem to be coming back and may go elsewhere and same with your friend. Um, and then, you know, there's other wider friends in the periphery who are now having children and um, doing things that are quite different to what we're doing. And then you've got other friends who are really into their careers and are now investing all their time and all their energy into establishing their practices. And so how do you think the changing dynamic can be navigated? It's a really tricky question and one that I'm still struggling to answer because I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a part of me that wasn't bitter or resentful about the changing nature of some of my friendships. Um, Because there is a lot of nostalgia attached to those friendships. You know, those people have seen me through, you know, my darkest of days and like, you know, my highest of highs. And 
I want to hold on to that. I don't want to lose that. Um, but I think it's about accepting that, you know, nothing's really constant, right? Just in the way that they're changing, I'm also changing. You mm. know, I've chosen my own path. It just doesn't happen to align with their path. And maybe that means the friendship won't endure and that it was sort of appropriate for a particular time and place. Or maybe it just means that it'll continue to evolve and maybe that will mean that, you know, we won't be as close as we once were or maybe that we're closer but in a different way where we don't need to spend, you know, every moment of every day with each other. Um, So I think it's just about being, yeah, compassionate with the other person but also just being compassionate with yourself. I think um, there was that podcast that I recommended to you um, to listen to and that was um, Mia Friedman's No Filter interview with Rebecca Sparrow. So they were doing a specific series about the sisterhood and this one was about her very close friendship with Rebecca. Mm. And um, she often talks about a reason, a season or a lifetime. And Mm. that's how friendships are predicated. And what um, I thought, I listened to the podcast twice actually, because I thought Rebecca's perspective on it was so interesting, which was she was saying that friendships may not last, but we have to learn to not take them personally Mm. and learn to let it go and to to accept it for what it was, Mm -hmm. which was something that fulfilled you at that particular chapter in your life. But everyone's changing. And and I actually took a lot of what um, she was saying really seriously because she's actually gone through it. She's um, a bit older than us now and she's had friends who have drifted off and done completely different things and so you just actually don't have that much in common with them anymore mm. and I feel like my mum said something quite similar because um, speaking of female friendships so you know um, having faced the adversities and separations of going through war and then being refugees in completely different countries she's still um, very close friends with one of her besties in the States and another bestie, I think in Canada. And there's one in WA as well. And all three of them were friends from high school and still are friends now. So that's been like, my mom's like 60 something. So that would have been wow. like, you know, 50 years or something. Wow. Cause they, they all grew up in the same hometown. And despite all of that, they've maintained their friendship. But I was actually asking her, Cause she talks to one of her friends in the States like every day on FaceTime. Like they'll talk for hours in terms of like, she'll have her FaceTime on and then she'll be making um, like, they'll be cooking and the other woman will oh be like God. tailoring. And like, so it's not like you're really talking like this, yeah. but it's just kind of like, you know, you have them in the background while you're doing something else. And when mom had her shop, like um, she would have it and then go out to see the customers and then come back in and keep talking to her friend. Um, but anyway, when I was asking her about this and female friendship, cause I was like, it's incredible what you've got and you've managed to sustain it for so long. Um, was a weird when, when life happened and she was like, yeah, you don't see your friends for a good chunk of time because mm. they have children. And so everyone goes insular mm-hmm. and that's just something you have to accept that that's just going to happen and don't have expectations for your friends during that time because that's so hard I know I know that's hard for you to hear but like that's what she said that was her thing and that's and they're still friends yeah it just you know instinctively when I hear that my knee-jerk response to it is but if the friendship is a priority you will make the time and effort for it regardless of what is happening in your personal life and I know that's a really black and white view on things because logistically children take up a lot of your time and energy like you literally just don't have the same amount of time or even when you know I've definitely had this experience where I've had friends when they've been single 
and then they've transitioned to being in relationships and I do see less of them and that makes sense logistically because they also now have time to spend with their partner and their partner's family and their partner's friends but I don't know quite how to deal with that underlying feeling of it's almost like a grief like you know oh this has changed and changed in a way that I would prefer it not to change not taking away from what that person is experiencing. Like I'm happy if they're in the relationship that they've always wanted to be in or they've had the children they've always wanted. But I think maybe from a purely selfish point of view, part of me is just sad. I think I feel the same. And I've done a lot of preempting of this because I know what's happening. Like, you know, I've, I'm pretty certain and I've seen other friendships drift in different directions because of life. And it is not just children, but it is things like moving away. Mm. And I think um, the thing that I've really resigned myself to in these situations is that it depends on who it is. Like I have Mm. my real core friendship group and like I'm pretty certain that we've had a lot of challenges in terms of even just geographic distance. Mm. Like I, I don't think my actual core friendship group have been in the same um, state or country mm. for a number of years now and we've still been able to maintain connection at least it's mm. different it's not the same for the reasons I said before about the pandemic stuff but um, we're still checking in with each other and we're still doing that and you know keep in mind that friendships they do end I think is really hard to accept but they do and I think listen- and not equating the end of it as a failure. Like I feel That's like, what she said. That's what yeah. Beck said. Because I even did that in yeah. the context of like, say my relationship. Like I, when that relationship ended, I automatically assumed that that meant I had failed in that relationship. And I think that's kind of how I view friendships as well, which isn't a healthy way to approach it at all. Because yeah, like you said, you know, it's right for a season. Like you actually get a lot out of that experience when you're in it. And you use the lessons you get from it into whatever future relationships or friendships you have. That's right. And I think there's nothing to stop that person from coming back into your life either, mm. which is like what happened with my um, my mum's friends. Like I think s- some of that group, they did really drift apart and that mm. is mainly due to geographical distance. But they're back together again because if you do have that love and that sense of connection that's something that could be picked up along the way. Like Mm. I do have some friends that I only need to see like once a year and we just Mm. pick up where we left off. Like I don't need that investment. But then in the same vein though, that friendship is probably not as close as say our friendship where we're, you know, constantly debriefing about the days to days Mm. and the the challenges that come are like on a more sort of frequent basis. Having said that though, I mean, we went a 12 month period where we were living in different states and to be honest, was I feel 12 like, months? yeah, it was 12 months that I was away. I Didn't know. Didn't feel that long. <laughs> I think because we were doing lots of phone calls. But that's what stuff. I mean. So it, you're right in the sense that it really depends on the person and the nature of the friendship, because even though we were in different states, I think we both made a conscious effort to remain connected, even if it was in a different way, you know, so we had our regular phone calls or we had our regular, you know, exchanges over Messenger, whatever it was, but we were both invested in that friendship. And so we made sure that, you know, we stayed connected to each other. Okay. So what do you think makes a female friendship different from friendships with, say, men? Oh, I feel like I'm going to fall into a lot of generalizations here. So 
I should preface this by saying, obviously, there are exceptions to every rule. There so will be like a real lawyer. <laughs> I just feel like we're not in court right now, Cushy. No. You're accountable to literally no one. It's hard to break habits. Um, I think. As a general rule, when I've spoken to men versus women about friendships, it does seem like that the relationships between women are much more, dare I say it, deep and meaningful. Um, You know, like I talk to men and they'll get together with their other male friends and, you know, they'll be content to spend the whole night, you know, watching movies or playing video games or going out and like participating in a sport all great bonding activities, but it's kind of like they bond through doing. Whereas I find a lot of female friendships are predicated on interactions like this, where you get together and you're there to connect with each other. So you're like Mm. conversing with each other and you're talking about anything and everything, you know, Mm. you're talking about, yeah, like your biggest insecurities or vulnerabilities and you're celebrating with them when you get that promotion or, you know, when you're having that hard day at work, you lament about it. Um, And so I think for that reason, they tend to, in my experience, be a lot more, yeah, deep and meaningful, maybe more authentic as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I think there's a lot of, um, I don't know if men do this in the same way, but Mm. often when I'm out, like if I see something that I think you'll like, for example, mm. or a particular friend will like, I'll just pick it up. And I'm That's like, oh, your love language, though. That is my love language. But I find a lot of my female friends behave in the same way. Like, yeah, it's so thoughtful. Like, during yes. lockdown, I got, um, like, the other lockdown, I got <laughs> the second one, not the first <laughs> one, and not the third one. Um, I got flowers from Amelia, one of my close friends in Canberra, yeah. and she got them delivered. And then I got flowers from, um, from Annika, who is in London, yeah. and... Um, like little care packages and stuff like that. And just so thoughtful things. And it made me like hate my boyfriend because um, I was like, no, honestly, I started fights because I was like, these people, my friends are just so, mm. and I don't mean to say in a braggy way because I do want to end this later by sort of talking about how you can get out there and find your people. Mm. And it took me a long time to get here, but my friends are just incredible when it comes to that support. And it really is a three way four way however many <laughs> different way system and i can't count obviously um but it's 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 reciprocal like yeah i think we're all sort of on the same basis it's never just a give 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 mm-hmm. and it's never just a take 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 um and we've been through so much adversity like mm. there's been a lot of real sad moments in our friendship with mm. um deaths and breakups and Um, mental illness and other heaps of really tricky things that we've all supported ourselves through. Mm. And I think um, to answer my own question, the thing that women do really well, I think in my friendships at least is to always support each other, no matter what we're doing. Like even when um, sometimes things come off the wrong way and, you know, someone might be quite defensive about it um, or, you know, if you're doing something that, is is bad for you like you know your friends are saying don't do this like you're gonna regret mm. it like it's not from a place of judgment it's from a place of protection mm. and and love and care and I think and that's why everyone's quite active about intervening in when you see someone going down a particular route um, it's not about discouraging them necessarily and this comes to ethics mm-hmm. like you know if it's something to do with work or to do with personal ethics. Um, to do with relationships, it, it's to do with everything. I'm not 
pointing to a specific example, but um, we were having a chat about this and I do actually feel like having this group of friends has been my compass. Like Mm. there's been a lot of moments where I've wavered in terms of should I, and I felt insecure. Like, am I doing the right thing? Did Mm. I make the right choice in my career or in my like, you know, finances or whatever it is. And it wasn't until I spoke to someone recently that I realized that without that really core group of people who are going to support you no matter what you do, but are also so deeply intellectual and can give you that guidance in a really sort of, um, in, yeah, in a, in a way that is intellectual, I suppose. Um, it insulates you from those stupid insecurities that mm. some of us fall into, like, should I have three houses? Mm-hmm. Should I get married? Should I have a baby? Like those are big questions that have been asked in our friendship group. And I don't ever feel like there's been any judgment. Like everyone's mm. free to do whatever the hell they want. No one's ever sniggered. If you've said that you want to quit your six figure job to go do, um, you know, legal aid type work. No one's ever done anything like that. If anything, there's just been a lot of love and a lot of support because that's your dream and that's what you don't want to do. But conversely, if you told me that you wanted to work for a big corporate law firm, um, I think I ultimately would support you, but Mm. I would be challenging you because I'm just kind of like, hang on a minute. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've known you long enough. Like what's going on here? Like, and, and you know, and if you don't have to justify yourself to me, but if you're, as long as, you know, the probings happen and you're happy, then I'm happy and I'll just support you through whatever you want to do. That, yeah, completely resembles my experience of female friendships as well. I think um, giving that reality check, I think... Accountability. Accountability, that's what it is. Keeping the bastards honest. Yeah. Done that to some men. Or you know what, even the other end of it where, like you said, sometimes I find I can be really hard on myself and I think uh, recently I've had my friends both in Darwin and Canberra and overseas and even yourself say to me, Kush, like you've come so far. And like, I've relied on my friends to be like, you know, this is where you were at in terms of like work, relationships, family. And these are all the steps you've taken. And this is all the growth we've seen. And having my friends sort of build me up like that, like I just... Yeah, like I said, I I shudder to think where I would be if I didn't have my friends. Um, I just, I don't think I've actually had any other sort of relationship, whether it be like with a family member or with a partner that's come close to resembling that kind of, yeah, keeping me just going. Like, yeah. That's a hard bit because we're setting such a high standard for any potential partners. (laughs) I'm I'm serious. Well, that's why I'm coming on, what, four years single? (laughs) But it's hard because I actually expect... And this is the flip side of having really, really good friends is I expect so much out of not just partners, but friends as well. Like Mm. anyone, like, I feel like I'm old now. I know I'm not that old, but I've done enough that I'm just like, I don't have time for bullshit. And Mm. the, the key for me, I think with these female relationships is that. I've just started coming from a place of real authenticity. Mm. Like I'm pretty no bullshitty and there is no gloss. Mm -hmm. Like when you meet me, it pretty much is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's in a social setting, it's probably even more what it is. And so... And that that worked out well for you. Yeah, and I'm grateful to that because I think I'm a bit like Vegemite, like a bit of an acquired taste. (laughs) Um, But 
I have loved how my friends have just let me be who I am. Like, Mm. I've never felt ashamed of who I am or Mm. anything like that, which is how I felt around other people Mm. I've interacted with through university and, and even in the workplace. Like, there's been so many times where I've felt this huge sense of imposter syndrome. Um, and this comes a lot of baggage, I think, from not coming from a white collar background and not having a dad as like a judge and mm. not doing things like that. Like mm. it, I, I, if I feel pains of it every now and then when I'm doing my work and it trips me up. It's like that TikTok where it's just like that sound effect where it's like every now and then it catches the person. Mm-hmm. Like that's how I feel about my imposter syndrome. And so to have friends and and really back me because they've seen me through the university years. They've seen me now through the formative years of adulthood. Mm. And the fact that we're still all friends is, yeah, I think a real sort of testament to that. Mm. So I guess my final question is there would be a lot of people out there, as I said, who, you know, are 18-year-old me wanting to have their own Sex in the City friendships. I guess what can people do to do that? Mm. What can people like your ex who say, I really want to have that. (laughs) What can they do? Because I think my response to your, that person would be, it's something you have to invest in and invest in with Mm. real, a sense of genuineness. Is that even a word? Authenticity and being a real genuine person. It's not something you can fake. It's not Mm. something you can copy and paste from a template. Mm. And that doesn't mean putting in all the time and effort in the world. Because like we said, a lot of people just don't have the capacity to do that. But even with our respective friends who have chronic illnesses, they're still able to show that intention in different ways. Um, So yeah, I think you do have to be very sort of intentional and purposeful about it. Um, I also think that we've also been really conscious of uh, women in our lives who don't have that. And I've witnessed you firsthand really make an effort to introduce those women into other circles. So, you know, you've done that with people from work where, you know, you've brought them to book club or you actually got them involved in netball, which you don't even play. Um, But kind of lending a hand to people and introducing them to other people. I think we just don't really do that a whole lot anymore, especially as adults. I feel like we've been really good doing that because I've met some amazing people from that process. Mm. So, for instance, with our book club, I love the girls in that book club because there's always some a new face. Mm-hmm. And they're always an del- absolute delight. So if anyone's listening um, to talk to because everyone just has really different perspectives and mm. it's nice meeting a new group of people who come from different backgrounds and do different things. And so, no, I completely think I agree with that. Um, And I genuinely get off on like sort of different people um, in my different circles getting together. Like I did that with you and like one of my dear friends, Tashi, who's in Darwin. And, you know, the two of you had never sort of seen or spent any time together. I mean, we've together. only met twice, but we were always talking about each other. I know. And it's just such a beautiful thing to witness. So I think maybe if, you know, you do have friends from different orbits and you think there's some sort of underlying commonality there in terms of their values or interests, bring them together and see what happens. Like the worst that can happen is, you know, they see each other once and they don't see each other again. But odds are, if you think there's something there, there probably is because you're friends with both of them. That's such a good tip. No, and totally forgot that these are actual examples (laughs) that we do because you actually brought together um, some friends 
in Canberra as well who've who managed to yeah. really connect to, yeah like I feel yeah. like you just remember Bron that and Amelia yeah. yeah that was random too and it was literally a case of oh they had sort of a a common experience in terms of you know losing a parent and I remember my friend Bronwyn um who I hope doesn't mind me mentioning this um but you know she found it tough because she didn't really know many people that had that kind of experience yeah um and now they're friends as well and it's just yeah. Well, it's similar to, so during the last lockdown, I had caught up with one of my friends, Mel, who I hadn't seen in a really long time. So you thought we were actually really close yeah. friends. I actually <laughs> not seen her in like years. And this was the first time we'd seen each other. And then I was thinking about these conversations we were having about being single. And mm. you were saying it's really hard um, to find friends who will relate to it because obviously mm. like I'm in a long-term relationship and a few of our other close friends are. And it's something I became really cognizant about because during that lockdown that then happened after the catch up that I had, um, things got really, really hard, especially Mm. in the dating scene. And I was like, right, well, look, we've got two single people here (laughs) and they're going through the same dating experience and the Mm. same worst. And so that actually was the initial reason I I got you guys together. Um, Also, because I know both of your personalities are pretty easygoing Mm. and really lovely, but during the heyday of the second lockdown, like watching that friendship flourish. And like you said, it's not like we met physically because, you know, obviously we couldn't due to COVID. And even after, um, you know, we, we don't catch up like every week or anything like that because, um, you know, people have priorities and, and other conditions to think about. But watching that friendship flourish was really beautiful and like it's just so nice seeing people um make their own friendships independent of Mm. you and like it's kind of like being a matchmaker and and i'm gonna keep doing it because i want to broaden the circle more Mm. um i feel like a lot of people i'm meeting who are in their late 20s early 30s now women haven't found any guys yet sorry to add to our (laughs) group of of amazing people but um, a lot of women in particular are more authentic and they're more confident in themselves and less apologetic. And, and we are like, there's that common ethos of lifting people up. And mm. if there is anyone who doesn't do that, they're immediately expelled. Like I just, I don't. <laughs> yeah. That's a non-negotiable rule of joining our club. <laughs> and there have been people, yeah. there have been people I've come across who are bringing that real negative energy. Yeah. And I just don't have time for that. And I don't want that kind of like cancer sort of seeping its way Mm. into our lives like it's it's already been quite hard as Mm. is and so I don't think we need that um but I think that's a really good tip I think people out there who are looking for them and we've both benefited from it you know because yeah like we're lucky enough that we have a lot of female friends but I'm like you I'm always like able and willing to make more friends and I think some of my most recent friendships have been through sort of like setups like yeah the one you mentioned just there um, you know, we've got like a messenger thread and ever since you set that up back in, I think it was maybe June of last year. Yeah. It was like July, right yeah. before lockdown. Yeah. So literally, and I'm not exaggerating this for our listeners, but every single day since you set up that thread, we have been in communication with each other. I'm not saying it has to be that level of no, that's, intensity. That's probably quite extreme. <laughs> I actually thought that was going to teach her out after lockdown, no. but it didn't. No, even today we've I been know. messaging I on it. Like, I mean, today was a notable day and now we're going to lockdown, so it's going to be full on now. But yeah, no, you're right. And yeah. that's really, and it's been, like I, I say again, we go back to the privilege, we go back to ableism. Mm. That's an example of mm. like 
being an accommodating friend. Mm. And that's something you come from having a diverse group of, of just letting your guard down a bit mm. and getting to know other people and not putting ego in it. It's not always about you. Mm. People may not be able to see you in the way that you want to, but maybe you can adjust mm-hmm. and see them in a way that suits their, um, their life you know, whatever is going on in that person's life. Mm, mm. One more tip that I would add, if you don't, you know, have sort of a middleman to like facilitate an introduction is I found it really helpful, especially during lockdown uh, with particular pages that I followed on Facebook where, you know, I would post or comment on certain things. And then I just found, and I should say again, like most of the members on these pages were women but women would contact me independently oh. of things I would post or comment on really? just to show their support for me. Oh my God. Yeah. So there That's was beautiful. There was that Abby Chatfield page before oh, I got loved shut down. It. Oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> RIP. Um, but I put up a really like sort of vulnerable post there during lockdown. And there was a particular girl who commented and then a week later privately messaged me to check in on me and just oh to give God. me a list of resources books, podcasts, um, just other things that she did with her time. And she's like, I was in a similar situation like you oh two years ago. Oh, my God. I know. And That's I was like, so kind. I've never met her in person, but it's one of those funny ones where, like, maybe it's been a handful of times now where every couple of months, like, one of us will message the other one, just touching base to see how they're going. That's be- I didn't know that story yeah. until now. That's beautiful. Yeah, I forgot about that one. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you don't even need to sometimes meet people in person to be friends with them. And I think this goes to the point of what today's um, podcast is about and what we've dedicated it to, which is to our girlfriends, but to also other girls out there who have their, you know, own Galentine's Day and those who haven't yet. Mm-hmm. Because I do think it's really crucial that um, everyone should maintain a sense of connection with their friends. Mm. And, you know, um, we've had a real focus on, on females today, but your friends can be whoever mm. they want to be. But that connection is really important, even independent of your relationships, because mm. I know a lot of people invest everything into that, and that's fine, but I do think there's it's a lot of pressure to put on one person mm. to serve every single emotional need of yours. Mm. And um, share the load. Like there are so many lovely people out there who may be able to relate to things much better than um, your partner or whoever. And so I just want to say to all my girlfriends out there, um, happy Galentine's Day. And thank you so much for being such great role models and such Mm. great aspirations for me. Because without you guys, I don't think I would be striving to be the best version of myself. I couldn't have said it better myself. And for those girls or women out there that are struggling and that haven't kind of found their crew, um, shoot us a message. I love making friends, so don't hold back. I absolutely agree. And I think we really need to make a push for Valentine's Day is not just about romantic love. Um... It is about a celebration of all love and love can come in any ways. And this particular episode is about the love that we have for our friends and is dedicated to them because they are absolutely incredible women. And thank you so much.